Welcome, everybody, to episode 21 of the Beyond Red and Blue podcast. I am your host, Bo Richards, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Dan Humphrey. Good readings and salutations. Today, we are going to be continuing what we went over uh, last week with the riots and uh, what has now been conf- uh, House-confirmed impeachment of Donald Trump, um, his second to use his own words, nobody's ever seen numbers like this. <laughs> so he has officially became the uh, the first president to ever be impeached twice. Winning, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so that that's a thing we figured uh, in in light of that coming about and uh, the, the probability. Um, when we were discussing this before he was impeached, of course, um, that he probably would be impeached regardless of what, uh, um, what Republicans wanted in the, in the, in, in the house, it'd be a good idea to can sort of continue and talk a bit about the ramifications, the impl- implications of that. And then also some of the other things that maybe have come about in the last, uh, week, half week, that sort of thing. Um, the house only needs a simple majority in order to impeach. So unless some Democrats were not going to impeach, there was basically no way that the House wouldn't impeach him. Yeah, that that part was a given. Yeah. um, And then I looked this up because we were talking a bit about it last week, but the Senate needs a two-thirds majority to approve, go through after the trial, because they technically hold a trial, um, and approve the... uh, the impeachment and, and the, the charges that come with that, um, which interestingly include a loss of pension. Yeah. Among other things. So, yep. um, and I think that I had would, forgotten that the, that would legally prohibit him from being able to run for office in the future. It was well. yeah, cor- yeah. Correct. Yeah. I, from what I read, I could be wrong. I don't think so, but, um, the actual notion of prohibiting you from running again has to be a second, a separate thing that's brought up. So it isn't part of the impeachment. So um, the way I, the the way I understood it was if they Senate goes through, they have the trial, they find, let's say in this case, Trump guilty and they impeach him, they successfully impeach him, which has actually never been done. So let's make that clear. An impeachment has never been pushed all the way through the Senate. You can convicted, correct. Convicted. Yeah. Yeah. Convicted. Sorry, let me rephrase. It's no one's ever been convicted. Um, Nixon apparently would have most likely been. Apparently, that was. Uh, um, he, apparently, he called and spoke to whomever, um, like a close uh, senator, uh, Republican senator, who said he's like, you know, how many votes do I have in my corner? And he's like, about ten Republicans. <laughs> All the other ones were going to vote to impeach him, and so that's partly why he resigned, I guess. But, um, but apparently. Uh, you um if you get convicted it you aren't just automatically then unable to run again for public office apparently it has to be a separate thing that's brought up which is interesting um yeah i didn't know to that. me that it's interesting that uh, it wouldn't be included in it right um as part of it it, it seems self evident to me that if you get convicted of impeachment plausible that you shouldn't run again now there's a case maybe to be made that the reason for that is if you are um unfairly impeached by a 
corrupt government, then that should leave the door open for you to challenge it and then come back and and possibly run again to uh, take control uh, take control, but to um to maybe fix the government. I, I I could see an argument for that, but whatever the case, it is a separate thing from what I understand that they people have already said they're going to bring up so that if he gets convicted, they're going to stop him. Gotcha. Um, so, uh, well, he would my lose, first even, question, even if they don't do, um, if they don't prevent him from being able to run, I think along with a conviction would be a loss of the, uh, $200,000 pension that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, as well as the, uh, lifetime secret service security detail. Yep. which I find interesting. Um, yep. Yeah. So some definite repercussions on that front. But that's honestly, that's the least of Trump's worries right now as far as the fallout yeah. of this thing. On, his, his, uh, on the business front, he's facing a lot more trouble that uh, would actually concern him. Um, well, obviously isn't he being investigated? He well, yeah, he's being investigated, I guess, Um his banking institutions, I, I want to say Deloitte, or no, dang it, I forget. Anyhow, whoever he does most of his banking with uh, said they're no longer do business with him. The PGA pulled the, the uh, what's the name of the PGA, mm-hmm. like the big? The Masters? Masters, thank you. I kept thinking US Open, but that's tennis. Um, the masters from a trump property so he's, he's losing actual business uh which is you know that's that's the language he speaks um you're not going to shame him into doing anything but you start taking away money uh and calling in debts which he has plenty of then that's what's going to get his attention so yeah very true um i'm curious to sort of hear we had we had you know mentioned this on the podcast uh the last podcast but it seemed kind of foregone like i mentioned that he was going to be impeached but uh, i'm curious to hear your thoughts maybe reiterate maybe you'll reiterate your thoughts from last week or you'll have some new thoughts about um whether is this good or bad um what are your feelings on it is this something is this a comeuppance is this something that should be done um have your thoughts really changed any from last week in that regard like I'm curious to see uh, where you're at now. Uh, I don't think my thoughts have changed much, maybe slightly refined. I I, I definitely think that um, something needs to happen to Trump. He needs to be held accountable. With the tools available right now, it appears that that would be via an impeachment. So I support mm-hmm. that. Um, you know, No matter what happens, Trump needs to be held accountable in a very serious way. For what happens my biggest concern is he just doesn't get a pass um and it, it seems like it's going that direction the likelihood of conviction uh you know certainly not impossible but you know maybe 50 50 at best as i understand it right now there are 12 republicans that are signaling they would be willing to convict in the senate mm-hmm. uh, however they need 17 in order to get the the majority that they need. So they're not quite there yet, but they're leaning that direction. And of course, uh, Mitch McConnell's uh, signaling that he would kind of support that activity. He said he was pleased that the Democrats were seeking impeachment and 
he didn't say that he would not vote to convict. He would consider, I think is what he said, voting to convict. Um, and yeah. coming from the majority leader, that opens up the possibility for other Republicans to vote to convict as well. So it's a definite possibility, although certainly not a probability. Um, yeah. Um, it's very interesting. I, uh, I had mentioned last week that I'm not sure if it's the right thing to do. Um, not because I don't want him to uh, face repercussions for his actions, but um, my two main reasons were, one, I don't necessarily think it's, it's the right thing to do if there's no Senate support, like, or really just bipartisan support across the board. Um, I think that the unity is is important. Um, and I'll come back to that because my girlfriend actually had a very interesting point counter to that that I think we should discuss because I didn't think about it. Um, and then the second op the second reason I was against it is because uh, I'm not so sure if the best thing to do is this should be a, a pis aller, like a, a move of last resort and it's our, it's been used more times in this century than it, it was in the last like 300 years, right? It's been used twice in the last year. And the last time was in the seventies. And the last time before that was like in 1860, like it's not used. And so it concerns me that it's getting easier and easier to use. Um, that would be, that would be the concern that I have. Uh, my, that would be my reticence to, uh, to do it. Um, though I understand the argument of why it should be done. If that makes sense. Um, yeah. I think given given today's political climate and how things have changed in the last couple decades and up to, you know, 50, 60 years ago, um, it's not a surprise that the country is so much more divided now than it was uh, that there's a higher likelihood of impeaching a president. Uh, additionally, mm -hmm. I think Trump really, really is a unique case in a whole lot of ways. You know, he did not yes. make it through the, the primary gatekeeping from either party. He came in as an independent. Um, so it's, it's a very unique situation to get a person like Trump in office. So if we're doing yeah. unique, unprecedented things, we just need to remember that we have a unique, unprecedented president. So they, they kind of go hand in hand in that sense. Um, in terms of unity, I, I agree with that, and I don't think that the hearings should um, should prevent Biden from moving forward with some of the things that he wants to do right out the gate. Um, I support waiting. I think someone said 100 days before um, going to an impeachment trial or whatever that process is called. Um, I think yeah. that makes sense. You know, give Biden 100 days to get his house in order to get his you know nominations. Um, so what I'm looking for. When the nominations confirmed, confirmed. Thank you. Get his yeah. nominations confirmed and, and get the ball rolling there. Um, so that was something interesting that I actually learned is that um, because impeachment proceedings take press, they're they're high priority. They take precedent over everything else, which means that if the Senate um, once they get together and they take up impeachment proceedings, they can't do any other business. Right. Without like a without like a, spe, um, a special uh, approval, I assume they would ask for special approval and see if it's like constitutional. But I think I think Biden's outside. already floated that to McConnell. 
It's he McConnell's has, call. But the, and I, I think he said he had to reach out to somebody about it. Yeah. And yeah, so, yeah. but without that, basically, if the Senate takes up the impeachment stuff January 19th, which is when their next section uh, session convenes, um, excuse me, Biden won't be able to get any of his cabinet and government officials put into place until they're done. And that can exactly. take anywhere between apparently the last the last three impeachments took anywhere between 21 and 87 days. So his first 100 days, he may not have literally anyone or hardly anyone in his in, in, in the White House or in the government. And uh, maybe there's some people out there who don't like Biden and are concerned about um, maybe correctly, but are concerned about some of the people he's going to put into the government and what kind of uh, um, policies they may enact. And it's like, that's not the right way to, so they're happy about this, but I don't think it's, we, I don't want a president who doesn't have, regardless of how I feel about him, I don't want a president who doesn't have the people around him to help him make the government function. That's bad. That's actually really bad. Yep. Um, you know, cause then literally nothing gets done and that presents problems when stuff actually needs to get done. And so, um, well, dude, we've seen that with, with Trump and yeah. the way he, uh, you know, continually firing people, and the, you know yep. the, the mismanagement of essentially everything um yeah we, we've been living that for the last four years and most highlighted mm -hmm. would be you know the last year with the pandemic um the governmental response on almost every front has been terrible and i think a lot of yep. that is because trump does not have you know he, he's insists on loyal people that just do what he say versus getting the right people that can take the right actions when they need to happen. And, you know, essentially having a good cabinet behind him versus a bunch of yes men. <clears throat> no, so very, very true. What that and, does. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's definitely not good. And then the other, the other problem that I, that, that popped into my head was that let's say that the, the trial starts the Senate, can't legally confirm anybody then i believe i don't know I, I i didn't look this up i i couldn't really find the answer to this question i i didn't dig very hard i probably could find it if i dig, dug harder but i believe the only real way that biden would then get things done is he would have a bunch of executive orders that the senate can't then veto because they're doing a a trial yeah so that's good. That's actually, I don't see that as a good thing either, because if there's no way to monitor the executive powers, orders that are being come out and put, you know, uh, pushed out of the Oval Office, then anything can be passed, which is concerning to me. And again, I don't know if that's actually how it would work or not, but that was the thought that came into my mind is like, well, maybe it's in Biden's best interest actually to not to push this and then just do everything he wants to do unilaterally. Yeah. If that's how that's it would possible. Work. I don't yeah. it you know, obviously I'm, I'm kind of moving into the the more conspiracy realm there. I, I don't know how it works, but um that was just that was a thought that I was like, hmm, I wonder if like that's how things work and if maybe that's the whole point is one of the points maybe is that you know people are like, just do executive orders and then no one can do anything about it until the next president comes in and you know, you just get a bunch of stuff done. Right. And um because we have uh, our, our our government over the last 60 years has historically abused the executive order power um comparatively you know yeah. and 
they've they've used it for good and I'm sure bad things, but presidents have. But I think uh, I'm trying to remember who I think George Washington, he did eight executive orders in eight years. <laughs> now, granted, this was, you know, a couple hundred years ago, so there's going to be some differences, but he was concerned. And so part he wanted to set a good precedent. So he did one a year, basically. And I think Trump's done like 500 or yeah. 400 or something like in four, you know, it's basically one every other day for four years, something crazy like that. Yeah. Um, and so there's a matter of as those things escalate at some point, they become too much. And um, so, I mean, that, that would just be a slight concern that I, I just don't have the information to to know exactly how that would work into something I thought was interesting. Um, so I wanted to bring us back to what we were talking about, about unity, because like, uh, like I mentioned, my girlfriend had an interesting point of view that I didn't think of that I thought was worth talking about. Um, okay. I talked about how I wanted bipartisan support in the Senate for impeachment. I thought that was important that everyone come together, um, Republicans and Democrats across the aisle and say, this is the best move forward for all of us as, as, a, as a nation. And her response was uh, very much a negative. And her reason was that basically her reason was that she did not feel um, that uh, Republicans, A, would do that genuinely. Her concern was that they would simply agree to uh, kind of uh, escape any uh, repercussions. Okay. Right? So yeah. they would just sort of defect and say and deflect and say, you know what, I'm on your guys's side. And then as a way to not um, have to pay, uh, take responsibility for their actions and the problems. And um, and that was her big thing that she didn't feel that they would be genuine and that it wouldn't actually solve a problem. They would just simply hide the bigger issue of, um, you know, corrupt Republicans who were trying to game the system. And that was very interesting. And I didn't think about it, but as we were talking about it, I, I understand exactly where she's coming from in, in the respect that there, a good amount of our Republican politicians are are gamers, right? They're, they, they've learned how to game the system and get forward, move forward in their political careers without, um, I mean, it, I, in some ways I would argue without using proper democratic processes, right? Um, but mob rule and in dark money as, as, as examples. Um, and that isn't to say that the left hasn't done this either, but just that it, sure it's, thing, it's yeah. something that's prevalent. Um, and we talked a bit last week, but um, it's been more prevalent, I think, at least more known in the last 50 or so years that Republicans in particular have been pushing the power threshold, like the threshold of what um, you can do before you cross the legal line in terms of your power reach. And um, you know, we mentioned how democracies die, the book, and how they talk about that. I recommend anyone um, who's interested in that sort of thing to, to, to read that and then also to read any other books that are tangentially related or just to get diverse op opinions about the situation. But it's very interesting. And um, with that in mind, I thought she had a very good point of, you know, do you think it's right to not hold them accountable and to let them basically defect and come over and say, mea culpa, um, you know, Trump is wrong. Let's impeach him. Everything is good now versus you spent the last five years jumping on the bandwagon and, you know, in probably all reality, ruining 
um, severely ruining our, our democracy. And then now when it's getting really bad, quote, end quote, you're just going to jump off and say, oops, I don't think you get off the hook that easy. Um, and I thought she had a very good point there. Much more uh, scorched earth than I would uh, uh, than I initially approached it, but uh, I think it's a valid point nonetheless. I don't know if it really changes my opinion on the unity, uh, but it does make me pause to say the least. And I, over the last few days, I've actually considered it quite a bit more. And I don't know the answer of how to fix that because I think she, as days go by, I think she brings up more and more of a valid point. But um, I'm curious, kind of your thoughts on that. I would say, like I agree with the sentiment, but I don't think that it would be the right move at this point. Um, I would be willing to give a whole lot of Republicans a pass to make sure that Trump is held accountable because he's mm -hmm. been such a figurehead for this whole thing. Um, and I, I think that, you know, culpability lies with a large portion of the Republican Party and what they have allowed to happen for the last four or five years and what they've yeah. signed on for and gone on, along with. Um, and I, I have to think that the majority of them do understand what type of guy Trump is. And rather than oh, making yeah. a moral stand, they figure out how to strategically align with him to get the things that they want to get done done. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, it's politics. And at some level, fuck all politicians is really how I feel about it. But it is how we run yes, the country. Yes, me too. So I'm, mm -hmm. like I said, much less concerned about holding them accountable than Trump. I think that um, he needs to be made an example of for, you know, a lack of a better way to say that. But hey, that can't that can't slide. Additionally, I think the Republican Party itself is in danger of imploding altogether so that. <laughs> that may that problem may take care of itself just in that um, if the if the GOP fractures like it looks like it may, um, mm. it's going to render them a lot less of a potential danger, I guess. Um, and it kind of depends on what issues are really important to you. I mean, there there are some conservative issues that I agree with. You know, fiscal responsibility is not a bad idea. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, on the flip side, I have a hard time uh, agreeing that we should legislate based on someone's personal mythology. Uh, oop, I mean religion. So that that's you know that, that's where I get into my own personal politics of you know just because your your sacred text your book says this that everybody else in the country has to live that way um, you know religion should not affect legislation. It certainly does, but I don't yeah. think it should. Um, and I think a large portion of the GOP um, makes their decisions um, at least informed or entirely based on their religious stance. So there's that. Um, yeah, that's I, an I interesting do, one we should talk about more in depth later because yeah. um, the notion of freedom of religion and speech is, is a tough, and discrimination is a... Is a I don't know how to solve that problem, but that's a tough problem to. Yeah, exactly. And, and kind of as it stands right now, it should be, um, you know, that's a personal decision and do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt other people. You know, that's a, that's a, a reasonable libertarian approach. Um, but to see people wanting to pass legislation for religious purposes, mm -hmm. um, 
I guess you can't legislate against someone's motivations, but we see that the effect that that has. Um, yes. But I see that you know, it's kind of a separate thing. And in terms of unity, I do think it's important that we do our best to uh, try to keep things a bit calmer. I hesitate to say yeah. heal because that's becoming a buzzword that the Republicans are all saying, oh, we need to unite. We need to heal now that their guy is the one in trouble. But it's not that doesn't make it not true um, for the good of the country and to keep the whole thing from falling apart entirely. Um, unity is a very good idea. Additionally, if the if the GOP fractures, then that's going to give the Democratic Party party um, significant more power and opportunity to pass, um, you know, woke legislation, which scares the shit yes. out of me. Um, yes. So I, I, you know, at the at the most basic level, Trump needs to be held accountable, and let's do it in a in as smooth a way as possible without trying to burn the whole thing down. That's that's kind of where I come out on that. Yeah, and that brings up an interesting issue, and. Uh, um, I didn't look up where he's from, but uh, there's a, I think he's a senator, a Republican senator. I think he's from South Carolina. His name's Lindsey Graham. I don't <laughs> yeah. know much about Lindsey Graham. I, I've heard his name before. Um, probably he said something stupid would be my guess, but. I can't um, think of a good thing to say about the man. Yeah, it's, I don't know much about him outside of the fact that I think he's the South Carolina senator, but or one of them. But yeah. uh, I had read an article that, or I, maybe he did a, I read an article. I think what happened is he he'd given a speech and the article I read was basically his speech that he had or talk that he had given on like Fox or something. And um, normally I don't think much of those things and don't read them, but uh, the title caught me and I thought it was interesting. And so one of his big issues um, and you kind of touched on it a little bit is um, this, if we continue with the impeachment, this would be the first time, we've impeached would continue with an impeachment trial for a president who's no longer a sitting president, which is a, his point was that it's a dangerous precedent to set. Now he didn't really talk as much about it from what I recalled about how Trump needs to face consequences and things. He might've mentioned that, but um, I see these two things as related in as much as he does need to be held accountable, but he, he Lindsey Graham's main point was that it's actually a problem if we try and impeach a president who's no longer a sitting president because it's never been done. And so what happens next? And he used much more apocalyptic language than that, um, which kind of frustrated me because um, as you and I, as you know, I, myself in particular, but you do this as well. And I think all good thinkers do when they you think through an idea, you need to run it to its logical conclusion which is often, if you're having a rational conversation, something that seems very, very far away, right? Um, as an example, someone tells you not to say something and then they make it a law and then I run to free, then I run to socialism or communism. And so you're like, that's not communism. They just don't want you to, to say this. And it's like, well, if you run that to its logical conclusion, you get communism, right? That's what happens. Or you get fascism, you get, you get both sides of the totalitarian spectrum. That's how a good idea should function is you have to run it. And if you run it to that conclusion and it's bad, you probably shouldn't have that idea. You shouldn't implement it. And, but what I find happens a lot is that um, politicians, they'll, they'll just run to that end and then they'll not explain themselves. So everyone, so you hear a lot of politicians decrying uh, Nazism 
and socialism and all these things and they don't explain how they get there yep and then you look at it and you're like well that wasn't you know that wasn't a phobia that wasn't nazism that was just him saying something stupid but i see where your point is if i can make the connection and i wish he would have made the connection he didn't but his point was basically that look if we do one step further and we we actually impeach a sitting president for something that um we may not actually even be able to prove legally from what I understand. There's actually some legal issues with convicting him of this, but that, that's a separate thing. What is the, what's the next logical step? Because now we've impeached a president who's no longer a sitting president. So his, his point was, he said under this theory, the radical left, which is kind of partly where it goes off the rails in my opinion, because he signal, you know, he identifies the radical left is the problem, but he said under this theory, the radical left, if you can impeach a president after they are out of office, why don't we impeach George Washington? He owns slaves. Where does this stop? So, and you can see my point where he just kind of jumps to this end conclusion. Um, but if yeah, you follow, the, if you actually that's... follow the argument logically, you can get there. You can. It, it, it's a ways away. Um, but the point that he brought up that I would want to make is that, and it ties into what you're talking about, about power. If the Republican Party falls apart, there's a power vacuum. Uh, Democrats already do control all three branches of the government at this point. They will on the 20th. And so there's a, if there's a – and you mentioned the woke, ideolo woke ideologists who the whole belief system is fun fundamentally predicated on power. Power's at the center of this. And so those steps are pretty easy to make. And so that's something that I would be concerned with personally is that I don't – weakening or changing how we view impeachment i could i could see that step to retroactive impeachments right Th that doesn't surprise me though i think it'd be a, we're a far way as away from that but it's definitely concerning does that make sense um, it, it makes sense I, I personally i don't think that's particularly relevant and and here's why um, a couple reasons really uh first of all taking it to that kind of an extreme of, you know, we'll impeach George Washington because he owned slaves um, is analogous to saying we don't want same sex marriage because eventually you'll be able to marry your dog. Um, oh, no, yeah. no I it's like, no, your your logical conclusions are illogical. Um, yeah, the, that's why it's important that you explain how it is you get to that uh, final yes. outcome. And his, you know, I don't think his arguments are valid in that sense. So I'm not worried about impe impeaching George Washington. Additionally, where the fuck was all this talk when Trump was grabbing women by the pussy? We want to talk about precedent? Sure. Yeah. This yeah. motherfucker really wants to talk about precedent when mm -hmm. we just had a sitting president um, via doublespeak incite a fucking riot at the capital of the country. So mm -hmm. shut the fuck up about precedents, Lindsay. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't care for that individual. Well, like I said, I, but I, I felt, you know, like I mentioned, I, I, I've, I felt that the conclusion he was drawing and the way in which he was drawing it, it could use some work, but that there was an underlying point that I thought was still worth bringing up, which is that, um, the the slow power creep is the problem that i see like because his jump to you know george washington owning slaves and therefore he should be retroactively 200 and some odd years later impeached is is 
a on the face silly and b um absurd but the underlying point that i picked out was that as you slowly change the way these things have been done it gets easier and easier to change the, the way the things have been done right um which would be the point that I would want to bring up. But I don't think he really is even aware that he's making the point or he even cares to make the point. It's more of what I'm trying to glean from this individual and in his, uh, um, his apocalyptic speech, because he has some other things that he says that are uh, quite apocalyptic as well, which is so commonplace. But so I'm trying to like pull the yeah. pull the nutrients out of it, as it were, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's a whole heck of a lot of nutrients there. I mean, there's, there's a kernel of truth, but I think that... Um, the members of the GOP, like Lindsey Graham, like Mitch McConnell mm -hmm. and Trump himself, um, I don't think they get to make those cases because they have stood by and watched so many unprecedented things go. And yeah. because it was for their team, they didn't say shit. Uh, before yes. we worry about erroneous impeachments, let's have a conversation about executive power and executive orders. Well, 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 this just got in the Constitution. Okay, that's what I thought. Shut the fuck up. Because the real yeah. danger, what yeah. we're actually seeing is the unilateral power that a president has via executive order. Um, now, granted, it is there for a reason. However, right now, I think it's getting abused. Um, and Obama did it as well. I think it's a conversation that needs to happen to... Uh, help balance out the checks and balances of the government. I think that's much more prescient than, oh, and they're just going to be impeaching George Washington. Dude, an unprecedented president did an unprecedented thing, so he gets an mm -hmm. unprecedented impeachment. I don't have a problem with that. We have yeah. far greater things to worry about. Um and honestly, I don't think that that's the genuine worry of, of any of these people. It's just political posturing. They, they're trying to mm -hmm. fight for their team um, or they're trying to save themselves from a sinking ship. It's politics. I get it. And that um, the sinking, sh the sinking ship thing is a, that's what my girlfriend was getting at. And I, I think she's right there at, um, you see a lot of, uh, waffling on the right now that they understand that, um, you know, things aren't quite going the way that they expected and an about face is needed. Otherwise, their political careers are um, most likely ruined. Yep. Big time. And, I, I uh, think ultimately yeah. that the, the contrib most contributing factor to that, to, or to the current situation that we have is both parties, blue and red, feel that they are facing an existential crisis. If we lose, whichever side you're on, if we lose, it's mm -hmm. all over. The country goes to shit and we're either going to be communists or going to be fascists, you know, based on what team you're with. And if you honestly believe that, then it's much easier to give your side a pass for all the small things that allow that power creep to happen. It's like, yeah. well, you know, I'm on the blue team, so I'm not going to say anything about... You know, parlor getting shut down because obviously that was a good thing. Well, fucking hang oh, on God, a second. Yeah. Maybe not so much. Yeah. Uh, but they're not going to have that conversation because if they concede anything to the quote unquote other side and they mm -hmm. lose, it's everything. It's apocalypse. 
And both sides no, believe very that. true. And if both sides believe that, it's effectively a religious war. My God versus your God. And we're going to kill every single one of you until we win. Uh, that's unfortunately kind of where we're at. And is, you know, stuff we've talked about quite a bit, things like the social dilemma and the echo chambers uh, and the speed of communication and the lack of journalism and, and all these other things that we've talked about has exponentially fed into this problem. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, you know, those are the things that we really need to analyze versus, oh, is it an unprecedented impeachment? Yeah, sure is. Keep going, you know? Yep. Um, I'm going to do it, even though I hate to do it, because everyone's been making these claims now, but I'm, I'm going to make a Nazi reference. Um, okay. There's been a lot of those, but I, I feel like it's actually necessary here. And so uh, um, what you're explaining about Democrats and Republicans not wanting to do anything that kind of for the other side, as it were, to show any support. Yep. Um, this is almost, a, this is basically exactly what uh, um, the conservative party of Germany did when they, in part, in part, when they elected Hitler, they felt they can control Hitler. That was the other idiotic thing that they did. They thought they could actually <laughs> control him, but they were, but they knew what, it, like people have made these kind of Hitler to, to Trump, comparisons before and part of the reason is what i'm explaining I, I don't know if there's really more than this personally but um an outsider with radical ideas um comparatively Hitler said way more radical ideas than trump has but um the the conservative party that was at, in power at the time thought they could control hitler even though he had crazy ideas they were aware of his ideas like he'd already written mein kampf and um like the, the, they knew what he was doing, but they were more concerned with giving power to the lefties, to the communists, to the socialists or whatever. Um, and so they went with him anyways, because they're like, well, we can control him and we sure as fuck don't want whatever they're going to do. And yeah. that's exactly what you're talking about is this notion of um, I, we're willing to so, sell our souls, essentially, so that we don't give anything to the other party, which we're like, you know way too afraid of now there's some legitimate reason to be afraid on both sides i don't want to minimize that um I, i'm i'm quite terrified of the authoritarian nature of both sides of the political spectrum um absolutely i think you know i think the I'm, comparison although it's it's very common um it's it's not even hyperbolic it's just inaccurate the you know trump versus hitler i think the reality is yeah. hitler what, he had some radical ideas and he had a thirst for conquest and expanding the, you know, the Aryan nation and, and all that shit. Whereas Trump is just a fucking narcissist, man. He wants attention yeah. and he well, wants that's why money. I... And, and that's it. He doesn't give a fuck one mm -hmm. way or the other. He picked a team. I mean, he was a, he was a Democrat for a bunch of years. He picked a team that he thought he could win. And all he wants to do is win. After getting, after inciting a fucking riot, he has talked to nobody, but you know what he's done? He's gone down to look at his border wall. Obviously, he's just trying to stroke his own ego and make himself feel good. Mm -hmm. Now, in a way, that's a good thing. Because his ambitions are entirely selfish, um, it's going to affect less people. Still affects a tremendous amount of people. But he's not actively trying to conquer other people or any of that. 
Um, he's not yeah. trying to eliminate an entire race of people. He's just a racist old guy. And I don't think yeah. that's a motivator for him, but it, it certainly affects his opinions on things and saying shit like, no, very true. Racist. So, and I feel it, very similar. I, I, I've never understood completely the, 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 the Nazi comparisons, but, or the Hitler comparisons outside of like the ones I just mentioned, which are, there were comparisons uh, between uh, the, the Republicans in power and him and the republic and the conservatives that were in power when Hitler was elected. Like it's more of a comparison between them and what they're doing than it is between, yeah. at least yeah. for me. Um, but I just thought that was interesting because there are those similarities and, it, it, and now we see, now we see, I think the Republican party's like we kind of fucked up. We'll, we'll see. I mean, I, Dan Crenshaw mentioned something because um, he was one of four people who, voted not to um impeach but they wrote they all wrote a letter there was four people who wrote a letter together about why they weren't impeaching they wanted it to be known exactly why okay. and he had mentioned that what the country needs is de-escalation not escalation among other things he had a couple of other reasons that one of which i didn't actually agree with but um i thought that it was uh um i think that he's correct in that de-escalation and we talk a bit about unity. Um, you said healing has been a buzzword. I haven't seen the word healing around. I haven't looked too much, but um, healing would be another way to look at it. Um, and I, I think that that's actually uh, maybe even a rebirth of the Republican Party because we need conservative values. Yep. If 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 conservative values die, then democracy dies. And I, yeah. the same thing is said for democratic, for liberal values. If liberal values die, and I mean liberal like on the left, Democrat, Hillary Clinton or whatever, liberal values, not necessarily just her, but whoever, Obama, liberal values, whatever, um, then democracy dies. Yeah, right? no, we need we a need balanced both. tension. There, there has to be a balance, right? And so, um, yeah, he had, he had mentioned that de-escalation was the way to go. And I do not know how that's going to look personally. Um, it would be my assumption that the, uh, the gamers, the Republican gamers, those who, uh, are simply doing whatever they can to continue to keep their power. Um, I, I don't know if they're going to be willing to engage in de-escalation. I doubt it. I I see no signs that anything is going to get de-escalated. I mean, there are people yeah. talking about it, and I agree with it. I think de-escalation is something that needs to happen. Is it going to happen? I got serious doubts. I think I think the twentieth is going to give us a feel for what's going to happen because on the 6th, we had an insurrection. And then on the 20th, depending on what happens, then it's going to be either a, or, you know, the insurrection was a wake up call or it was a call to arms. It was an inspiration. Mm -hmm. um, and if we see that, you know, as uh, I think we mentioned, you know, the FBI sent out a letter to all 50 states saying that there are, uh, planned attacks on their capitals or protests, I should say, on their capitals in every state. And just kind of a warning to to look out um, here in Washington. We I think we had like 15,000. Um, no, I'm sorry, that was D.C. had the 15,000. We have a large deployment of the National Guard here in Olympia to okay. keep the Capitol campus, you know, under control and all that. Um, so there is a potential that the sixth was just kind of the start of everything hopefully not but 
you know, if a lot of things happen on the 20th, depending on what they are and how they may further inspire more action, uh, it Mm -hmm. could be the start. It could be the start of the end. Um, Or it could be hopefully the wake up call that, hey, this has all gone too far. We need to calm down and we need to work this out in a you know political manner. Uh, we'll see. But I think everybody right now is just kind of the, the wait and see. And I don't think a whole lot of people are banking on healing right now, which is uh, a bit frightening. Unfortunate. Yeah, I agree. Um, have you looked at all into um, any any of the uh, suspected protests and riots and things in, in Olympia? Like, have you heard anything about what's going to happen, if anything's going to happen? Um who and what's going to be involved. And I haven't done any research. So, uh, well, so the, the report I saw from was either yesterday or the day before, um, the Washington state patrol had a bunch of troopers out and apparently I didn't know this, but I guess the Washington state, uh, capital campus is the largest in the country. Very nice campus, I guess. Um, and they were just making sure that, um, if protests were going to happen, that they were done safely and peacefully. Um, mm-hmm. It's absolutely, it's everyone's right to uh, assemble and protest. There's no problem with that. But, you know, if there's any violence or if there's any uh, threats towards the actual members of the uh, the Congress and the Capitol, I guess it would be Congress. The What's the body and the state Capitol? Is that a Congress? I think so, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, the state Congress. Um, just to make sure that everybody's safe. And I guess there was one arrest, mostly chill, nobody got hurt or anything like that, uh, which is the appropriate response. It's like, okay, make sure that we have enough officers here to handle things if they get out of hand. And hopefully that presence will keep things from getting out of hand. And then everybody can exercise their rights and speak their peace. And, you know, that's how we take part in the political process. Um, yeah. So in Washington state in the last couple of days, it went exactly as it should, um, but it wasn't inauguration day. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. I'm excited to, uh, to have professor Shiro on. Yes. Uh, Cause we're going to have him on, on inauguration day. So um, if we can swing it, maybe we'll try and find out how to do that live. Cause it'd be kind of fun. But, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. I don't know how to do that. I've never tried. So, <laughs> But it would be interesting if we could uh, do that while staying abreast of uh, of um, any issues that come about during the day. But I don't know if I could stay focused. Yeah. I'm not a multitasker in that way. Like if I'm in a conversation, I typically focus on that conversation. Some people are better. They can like yeah. watch two TV programs and have the radio going and they're writing a letter to somebody. It's like, ah, the fuck? I can't do any of that. So if I was trying to have a conversation with uh, yourself and the professor, uh, I wouldn't be able to watch the uh, any of the live footage. And vice versa. So I could probably do it, but it, um, for these kinds of conversations, I like to be somewhat prepared so yeah. that it, it's, so I'm not nervous and I can like, I, I actually, cause as I get nervous, like most people, it, you know, it's hard to articulate your thoughts. Yeah. And so having some sort of preparedness helps me rattle off kind of what's going on in my head as opposed to like having to sit there for 10 seconds and be like, okay, calm down. What question <laughs> did they ask? Think it through you know, don't say a bad word. And then, you know, you say a bad word. Right. Um, so it, I think it would be tough, but, uh, it, if, uh, it'd be, it'd be kind of fun, I think, but, um, but yeah, it, whatever the case, it'll be interesting to have him on 
to kind of get his take on this. And uh, well, hey, you know, if you want to reach out to him, potentially we could record a little bit later, so we could all mm-hmm. kind of see what happens during the inauguration and then have something to discuss uh, after the yeah. fact. I'm not sure what time they're actually doing it. Maybe we're always set up for that. Um, yeah, I guess we'll I can't remember. I, I think I forget what time we're meeting with him, but I think it's our I think it's a typical time that we usually do. But yeah, um, but I'll, I'll double check the uh, I'll double check and see and I could reach out to him and ask him. We can do it later, too, if we need to. But uh, but yeah, that'll be that'll be exciting. It'll be nice to have a, a historian um, who studies, you know, in, in party studies, uh, authoritarian um regimes and uh and the like I'm, I'm excited to have him come on and uh yeah i'm still listening to his book it's, it's fantastic yeah I, i'm actually kind of bummed uh um i've read three or four of his books now and uh i ordered one a couple weeks back called uh why don't we just kill them all <laughs> and, good title uh, um and i didn't realize it when i bought it because uh, i usually buy used versions of books because they're like you know a, a one-tenth of the cost Sure. And um, I, but I didn't realize it that when I bought it, the the shipping time was like a, it was like a four week shipping time. So like it'll show up like two days after I buy it or at the end of January. Yeah. <laughs> and so right now it's projected to get here like at the end of January. And I really wanted to get it before I uh, um, before we sat down with him so I could read another one of his books and have a little bit more to talk about. I've read enough of his, his stuff that um, I'm, I'm sure it'll be fine. But uh Plus that the title of that book just is awesome. So <laughs> that is a good title. I, I may put that on it my is, list it, next. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. Um, so moving on, I you had mentioned Parlor. I thought it might be uh, um, interesting to talk a bit about uh, um, issues of, uh, of like you know free speech of censorship. Yeah. Um, one thing I'll bring up really quickly and then we can move on to parlor because it reminded me of it and I don't want to forget about it because it makes me laugh. Um, there apparently there's a, um, a reignited call in the news to remove Trump from home alone too. Cause he has a cameo in that movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and this actually, uh, this was actually done in, uh, when the Canadian broadcasting company, like the broadcasting company of Canada, they aired the movie home alone Two in 2019. They actually removed the scene where he's in it. And it created a stir and they they come out and they were like, it wasn't for political reasons. We cut out the clip for time constraints. Um, sure but I don't think anyone did. bought it. <laughs> well, I'm not sure if you're you you can visualize the scene in your mind, but the, the, the scene is like four seconds. Yeah, it's like hotel lobby or something. Yeah. And then like Trump walks into the screen and, yeah. uh, you know, Macaulay Kogan looks at him and asks him a question and he points and then he walks away like it's literally like a four second clip. I'm sorry. I doubt that they did that for time constraint issues. Yeah. I, I have a hard time, but I have a hard time believing that. Um, but anyway, so the, to the, back to the parlor and then also with this, I'm, uh, we talk a lot about free speech and the ability to um, kind of say what you want to say and how important we both think that that is. And uh, um, this call to remove Trump because people don't like him from a movie that came out in like the early nineties. Um, I think dovetails into that notion and uh, because it's like, well, we don't like you. So we're going to deplatform you. We're just going to remove you from everything. Yep. Um, and, or in this case, remove you from a movie um, because in, 
there's some argument for that. Like he's a reprehensible character. So it's like, okay, do you, do you want him to be in one of the best Christmas movies of all time? And a lot of people are like, no, I don't want to see his face. And, but at the same time, it's like, at what point do we, where's the line where we're just removing everyone from everything? Well, I think, I think even taking him out of that movie crosses that line fucking way down the way. Um, it's, it's the ministry of information. It's Orwellian. It's mm -hmm. rewriting history. Of that, course, yes. Trump is not in home alone too. Trump was never in home alone too. Yes. Of course, Trump is like not on Twitter. Yeah. Trump was never on Twitter and you can't find the fucking history. Like he yeah. gets unpersoned by deleting all of that. And um and it's like it may seem like a simple thing because it's home alone too and it's, it's just a fucking movie and um i actually liked it better than the first one myself but that's beside the point um but like you said it's that it's that orwellian take on things that um you know i, I talked a little bit about this when i was talking about what Lindsey graham had said and how often the gap isn't explained when people go apocalyptic but on the flip side of that coin, often the gap is not as wide as people think it is. Yeah. And so that's the other, this is the reason I pulled that quote out. I, I didn't, we didn't go into that uh, at the time, but that's the other reason I pulled that quote out is because I think it's important to always highlight and it dovetails into this is that the actual line between normal and Orwellian, let's say, um, is very thin, right? It may seem like it's very far away, but it's like, um, it's like a snowball rolling down a hill. Maybe that's a good way to think about it, right? Like sometimes if you ever try and actually roll a, a legitimate snowball down a hill, it doesn't roll. You have to push it. Sometimes you actually have to make a groove in the snow and then pick the snowball up and go to the top of the hill and roll it again so that it's smoothed <laughs> out. And But then at some point it, it gets enough momentum and it's big enough that you have a big fucking snowball. And then in, in the cartoons, it's so big that it just tramples everything, right? Um, and then in the movies, it's an avalanche. Um, the point is that it actually doesn't take that long for that shit to happen. And so you have to be careful. You have to be on the lookout for that because that's what happens. And then you have, you know, Trump was never in Home Alone 2. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, 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 then you you have, and then you have worse shit. To, to fucking drive the point home or whatever, uh, to anybody listening, because the term Orwellian gets thrown around a lot. Um, and I think people get a general sense of it, but in terms of making a logical leap and being able to explain it, that's what 1984 does. If you read yes. that book, it illustrates what could happen at the extreme, what has happened in different communist countries. It's not, uh, you know, it, it's a work of fiction, but it's talking about things that actually happened. So... If, if that term, if the term Orwellian just kind of goes over your head or you're just like, ah, whatever, there's, you know, invoking Orwell again, uh, make sure you're really familiar with the book because the ideas that are in there are very prescient right now. Um, and just to be shorthand. clear, the, bo the book, you're, the book you're referring to is 1984. Yes, 1984. Um, um, the, you know, the, the explanation of the, you know, the, the chain of logic to get us there that's all in the book and it's incredibly well written. It's very entertaining. It's a great book. Um, and that, you know, it, it's a shorthand for having to explain that in the current situation. Um, 
because you maybe have the question of, well, you know, who cares if we re rewrite a little history? People don't like Donald Trump. What's wrong with taking him out of a movie? Um, there's a lot that can go wrong with that. And it's not specifically about just one movie. It's, you know, it's a precedent that allows us to rewrite history. And if you can rewrite history, you can write history and you can change the narrative yes. however you want. Because the reality is, you know, our recordings of history are the only thing that we have. You know, all of us are conscious in this present moment, and that's it. The future and the past are just you know, conceptual ideas that we grapple with. Um, so if you can rewrite what happened in the past, that gives you the power to, to control what happens in the future. Um, it's a big, big deal. So read the book if, if you haven't already. <laughs> No, very, very true. And it's, it's interesting to me because it's actually hard to fully articulate how big of a deal it is. Yeah. Without sounding crazy. Yep. And th that's what I, that's what I found very, very interesting is that, um, cause like the, the examples that come to mind are like, well, I, I would love to explain the difference between what was normal, you know, right before Lenin took power and then what became normal three years later when um, families were liquidated. Yeah. You know, and that, and, and, and by liquidated, I mean, that's what they called it when your whole family was murdered yep. because you were suspected of, of being, you know, against the, the regime. And, um, but those are like crazy examples that like no one can really like how, unless I'm talking to a Russian, like a Russian immigrant who understands, you know, who had family who was, you know, alive when Lenin was there or just it w was born and raised in Russia who then learned Russian history. It, it's, it goes over the head so easily. Yeah. Um, but I, I, yeah, it's, I've often tried to find, and I've done a bad job of it, but I've tried to find ways to kind of explain exactly, um, maybe find more layman's terms, ways to explain the actual problems. And, and, and I think that, um, something like removing Trump from home alone it is one of those examples of like, well, you remove someone from a movie and then you remove them from Twitter and then they just don't exist. Like you said, they're unpersoned. That's dangerous. Right. You yeah. can't let that happen. It, yeah. Um, and Even you know, that kind of brings me Trump. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, th and that brings us to parlor, um, which is a decent example, I think, of this. And that, for those unfamiliar, I've actually only been on Parlor one time. I, I initially had heard about it, went to it, and had contemplated setting up an account for us for our podcast because it's it, Parlor was designed as a an alternative to Twitter without with uh, no free speech restrictions. Yeah, and so as you would probably assume, um, the vast majority of people who were on it, or at least the people who are interested are those people who've been kicked off of Twitter um, and whether they it's because they've actually said things that maybe they shouldn't say, or because Twitter didn't like it. It's up for debate because Twitter, you know, they block a lot of things that, pe that they don't like quote unquote, that aren't that bad, but um, it was full of a lot of speech that most people would actually find reprehensible is my understanding and whatever. Um, I don't care. Say what you want to say. I, I'm either going to listen to it and engage with it and shut it down as best they can, or I'm just going to ignore it um, because that's what uh, people should be able to do that. Yeah. Um, Parler was just removed from the internet. They like, th they don't have a server for their website. 
Yeah, the, the, the coordination like the, of this is was fucking phenomenal. It started out with Apple and Google Play taking them off the App Store. Okay, yep. so now you can't download any updates or sign up new users. And then Amazon took them off of their servers. Now, something we got to understand here that I think a lot of people aren't aware of, but when we think of Amazon, typically we think of the storefront, Prime Delivery, maybe Hulu or uh, maybe uh, Amazon Prime movies or whatever. And typically it's associated that the, well, formerly richest man in the world, now the second richest man in the world uh, is the, the CEO of that. So big, big, giant company that does all the online shopping, great. But the reality is uh, 50% of their revenue comes from Amazon Web Services. And what the Amazon Web Services are, are basically cloud servers that you can sign up for and they scale really easily. So if you are a developer with a small application, you can get started for very inexpensive and then scale it and make it much bigger if your thing ends up becoming popular and it's all very stable and a tremendous amount of our internet experience runs on Amazon Web Server. Um, mm -hmm. So it's kind of the, it's, it's their biggest revenue source and it's a little bit silent because it's not sexy like online shopping. Um, but yeah. all of that is to point out that Amazon Web Services is an enormous service that runs a giant chunk of anything on the internet. So for Amazon to say, we're not going to let you run on our servers anymore, that immediately killed everything. Gone. Poof. Yes. Yeah. Um, and for one company to have that kind of power, um, colluding with a few other companies, trying to take them off the, the app store, but these giant tech companies to have the ability to shut down the speech of so many people um, is is reprehensible. It's one thing on a case by case basis to flag Trump's tweets and say, you know, this is probably disinformation. Okay, that makes sense. Um, if Trump is potentially inciting more riots, that's a little bit tougher. But uh, you can kind of make a case. He's he's screaming fire in a crowded theater. Mm -hmm. So okay, that's that's a conversation worth having. But for Amazon to then say. Well, anybody on Parler, which is obviously all Trump fans, just gone. Um, and and it's at least on the left, nobody's fucking saying shit about that. Uh, I believe that you know folks on the right are, are pretty up in arms over it. But just from sure. a, a a non political view, to understand what that really means, and what it means if this is allowed to happen, and if nobody says boo that it's happening. Um, this is effectively the beginning of, of, you know, the end of free speech. Um, Google and Amazon and Apple have become the ministry of information and they get to decide what the real history is and what is not and who gets to talk and who doesn't. Um, uh, and yeah, the impact of that could be tragic. It's, it's quite scary. No, it, no, it very much is. And. Look, I get it. People say deplorable things. What I find very interesting is that, you know, it's assumed and maybe it's somewhat true. I, I, I don't doubt the veracity of this. Um, most free speech uh, social media platforms that don't have restrictions 
are going to bring with them are going to have more inappropriate speech. Of course. That that, that, that makes natural sense. And they're actually born be- out of a restriction of really bad speech from other platforms. And so like, it's not surprising to me. Um, but what I, what I do find very interesting is that, you know, this social media platform is erased from the internet, essentially. Like there's no way to access it. As far as I'm aware, you can't sign up, like you can't view it. You might be able to view like backlogged versions of it or something. I'm not sure exactly how that works, but it's basically no longer a company. And yet, there is apparently a, an, an absurd amount of systemic, um, you know, racial and you know, trans and, and homophobic rhetoric that is spewed on Twitter on a daily basis. And yet Twitter still has a platform. Mm-hmm. So that, well, it's because like, they're, they're on the right I, side. I, <laughs> they're on the right side of the tech that, companies. That, that's what I'm trying to wrap my mind around is like, it's like I hear so much about how like people, um, you know, get harassed all the time on Twitter and they're called names. And like, I don't doubt that that happens. I'm sure that it does. I do, and I don't like that it does, but I, I don't, doesn't surprise me at all. But, um, I don't see that. I don't see whoever holds Twitter server shutting it down or just shutting Twitter down if they do their own servers. I don't know how that works exactly, but it it's power, right? It's like they have the power to shut down Parler because it's tiny and Trump supporters may be on there, like whatever that's supposed to mean. As if Trump supporters aren't also on Twitter, he's got one of the largest Twitter followings in, in the world. So, like, uh, I'm sure that he's got plenty. It's like it, there's an inconsistency there. And no, it's, right. it, it's, it's perfectly it's, consistent. It's which team are you on? Yeah, that's the consistency. One thing that I wanted to bring up about kind of the hypocrisy of sides is uh, is Nancy Pelosi and because um, she had made a statement while she was signing the articles of impeachment. And she said that uh, I'm, I'm I'm paraphrasing. There's some more to this, but I it this to get the point across. She said that she sadly with a broken heart. With a heart, with a heart, uh, broken heart, will sign the articles of impeachment. Yeah, um, that's a bit of theater right there. I'm sure she cracked a bottle of wine that night. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it, yeah, it, just, it, it, it made me laugh. And um, about that hypocrisy, it's like, and this may be a cheap shot at her because she's been so like openly again, like um, uh, against Trump. But uh, um, it just reminded me of that. I was when I heard when I heard her say that as she like signed it and she showed that she was like showing it around to all the cameras in attendance yeah. um, reporters. And I, and I was like, there is no way that it's like, first off, I don't think you're sad about this because of Trump. And I actually don't believe that she's sad for the country that this is happening. I actually don't believe that. And th- that's a separate argument, but um, she also had mentioned that, um, you know, she believes that Trump is a clear and presentation a danger to the nation that and she says, and I quote, we all love, but it isn't clear to me that um, she's at all sad about what's happening for the country as a whole either. Um, yeah, I could so, see that. Uh, I mean, honestly, I don't give a shit. Pelosi is Pelosi. She's going to do what she's going to do. <clears throat> I'm not particularly yeah. concerned just, with her, uh, whether or not she's sad or not <laughs> over any of this. Um, you know, mm-hmm. she's certainly not my favorite person. Um but yeah, as long as she signed no, it, let's mine get neither. this ball rolling. <laughs> right, right. 
Okay, let's see. Uh, did you have anything else that you wanted to hit upon? Um, that's mostly what I have. Yeah, nothing specific. I mean, it's just it, it's a bit of a wait and see time right now between the 6th and the upcoming inauguration yep. to see if this ends up being a a continued thing in this country or if that was a one-off. Um, hopefully yep. the latter. Yeah, I'm hoping so too. I really don't want to see any more violence. No. No, um, I don't. Uh, I'm I'm not a big fan of that. Um, if there's one thing I've been, one silver lining, I I've been um, happy at least with the amount of unity amongst politicians who've decried the violence. Whether or not they're being, uh, some of them are being um, honest about it or not, I don't know. But it has been nice to kind of see people come together and be like, "Hey, this is this is fucking bad. Yeah, um, you yeah. all need to get your shit together." And um, because it isn't the answer, violence is very rarely ever actually the answer. Yeah. You know, which is uh, people might think is funny coming from someone who literally practices simulated murder um, for a living. I might add. <laughs> it's my job <laughs> in, in part is to, to teach kids how to practice simulated murder. And so um, in jujitsu and so, uh, but um I don't think that being violent is, is ever really the answer to solving problems. There, there are always better ways to handle a situation. Um, yeah. Not well, always, but there are people that, the vast majority of the time. Yeah. People that uh, want to use violence as a way to solve problems typically have very little experience in actual violence. Yes. Yeah. That's the other thing is that, yeah, you, the vast majority of people who are, have any kind of training, in combat don't want to actually engage in combat. Yep. Yep. And it's unfortunate that the politicians get to make those decisions without having served themselves. Uh, but that's kind of where, where we're at right now. Mm -hmm. Cool, man. Right. Should we, uh, should we wrap this up and, uh, yep. 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 Alrighty. Well, uh, thanks everyone for tuning in today. As, um, for a second recap on the riots and the impeachment. And uh, we'll have more next week. Um, we are going to have a special guest, uh, Professor Daniel Chereau from uh, the University of Washington. He is a um, a professor in the, the International Studies Department. He teaches a, a multitude of different, um, uh, different courses, but uh, his specialties are uh, um, in particular, totalitarian, uh, authoritarian regimes and R Russian history in particular, I think is one of his big specialties, but, um, he'll be on, we're going to be talking to him about his life, um, kind of what he thinks about, uh, everything. And, um, we'll have an actual smart guy talking. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. People listening to we'll us try to off forever. Yeah. We'll have an, right, an actual exactly. intelligent person. So that's good. Well, someone well, someone actually knows what the fuck he's talking about. Exactly. So that that'll be that'll be a lot of fun. Um, he's uh, written a lot of really cool books, and uh, he's a very interesting cat. And uh, I'm really excited to get his take personally on um, sort of what he has seen throughout his life. You know, he's uh, in his late 70s, and so he's lived through a large number of presidents. And um, you know, he was young when Nixon was, a, was, a, you know, uh, impeached and stuff. And so he was in his twenties, I believe at the time. And so, uh, um, you know, he's seen a lot of different things and he's studied a lot of different things throughout his life. His whole life has been spent looking up kind of why 
why the, all the bad shit that's happened has happened. And, you know, we're worried as a country that we're on the precipice of bad shit. And so it, he's kind of the, one of those people you want to talk to and say, Hey, like, what do you got for us? Like, what, exactly. Uh, um, yeah. You know, what should we be worried about? Should we be worried about, uh, um, Donald Hitler, Trump? Should we be worried about, um, democratic Stalin's coming into power? Um, you know, should, should we be worried about some kind of a Bonaparte, like the Khmer Rouge coming back? Like there's, you know, um, <laughs> this is going to turn into, are we going to have struggle sessions and, uh, you know, a great leap forward, like in Mao's China, like what, what, what's those are kind of the things that I'm curious to kind of hear him expound upon because a lot of those atrocities were, um, you know, they were all very, very different, but the authoritarianism was very clear in virtually all of them, but a lot of them were communist in, 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 in their leaning. There, there was a good number of fascist, fascistic regimes, but a lot of them were communistic and um, a lot of that was tried and a lot of it failed and it failed very differently in different places and for different reasons. And so I'm, I'm curious to kind of see him break the parse, those things out and parallel those to our current age. Yeah. Um, big time here in the U S. And so, uh, so tune in for that. We'll have that out next week. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of your morning, afternoon, or evening. Take care, everybody. Peace. Peace.